Let's turn for a few minutes to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Much more could be said about verse 10. The bankruptcy laws of our country that protect those who don't pay their bills against those who loan them the money and are out the money. It was mentioned to me at break time that we ought to remember that our physical health is one way of whetting the edge. Because the healthier you are, the stronger you are, the more energetic, and you'll be able to accomplish more. And that, you know, included in that is making sure you get enough sleep. That maybe you should weigh less than you do. That maybe you should eat a little better and have regular habits better than you do. And that a husband should remember that his wife likely needs more sleep than he does. And if he wants to maximize whetting the edge of his wife, he needs to make sure she gets enough sleep so that she is at high energy throughout the whole day. If you don't let her have enough sleep, you're just dulling your own blade. And so if you want to have a productive wife that's cheerful and happy and runs wide open all day long, then help her get enough sleep. My wife liked that point. Wow. There's all sorts of ways that we can wet the edge to leverage the ability and efforts that we put forth to maximize the profitability while we're under the sun. It's not a chapter. It's not a book. It was a verse. But that verse is precious, and I hope that you remember it, and I hope that I hear from your lips to one another, sharpen your axe, brother. Sharpen your axe. And we'll know exactly what you mean that we're referring to Ecclesiastes 10.10. Verse 11 through 14. Surely... The serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be, and what shall be after him, who can tell him? These four verses have the next lesson from Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and the lesson is, Speech best proves a man's folly or wisdom. Speech gives us a way whether we are a wise man or a foolish man. Surely the serpent will bite. You know, we have an expression that sometimes we call a person a snake. It's scriptural. It's scriptural. A person who talks too much, a babbler. That's what a babbler is. Someone who talks too much without purpose or profit, without thinking or motive, without careful consideration of what they're saying, babbling, just talking incessantly about whatever comes to mind. That person is a snake. Because the serpent will bite unless it's enchanted, and a babbler is no better. Because when a person talks too much, he talks too much, he is going to backbite others while he's talking to you. He's going to take what you two share and he's going to share it, give it with somebody else. That's whispering. He's going to slander things that he does here to put them in the worst light possible. He's going to profane holy subjects. He's not going to be gracious in his speech, which is the contrast with the next verse, verse 12. He's going to corrupt whatever you do tell him. 
if you try to send him to someone else with a word of advice. He's going to bite you. You're going to get bit if you're around a babbler. So part of the lesson is to stay away from babblers. Part of the lesson is let's not ever be a babbler ourselves. Let's make sure that the words that come out of our mouth are based on careful premeditation before they come out so that we say things that are wise and profitable for other men and pleasing to the Lord. No wonder certain people are called snakes. They talk too much and they use speech to hurt each other. And this is from the Word of God. We're not making it up. We can see that the babbler is no better than a serpent that's not enchanted. And a snake that is not enchanted and you get too close to him, it's going to bite you. Surely. And just as surely a babbler will bite if he doesn't control his speech and if you don't stay away from him. Those who think that they can say anything they wish and others should accept them are fools. A proverb warns about a very wicked man that would say, We are Lord of our own tongues. Because that is not the truth. The Lord is the Lord of our tongue. Jesus is Lord of all. And when we say that Jesus is Lord of all, we better believe that He's the Lord of our tongues. And when we open our mouths and use that tongue, we better use it carefully and wisely, respectfully, soberly, and it ought to convey wisdom to other people. In a congregation of this size, there are several that we would call phlegmatics, meaning that they are relatively quiet. They don't say very much. And they are able to look at the rest of us and basically call us all babblers. But I want to say something to those self-righteous phlegmatics. And that's what they are. Phlegmatics are the most self-righteous of the four temperaments because their sins are all hidden from sight. Ours are all out in the open. Neither sin is acceptable. Both sins are wrong. But those people that sit back in their glass towers because they don't say anything and want to criticize those who may say too much, I ask you this, are you a tree of life to anyone? Have you ever helped anyone? When you are put in the ground, will anyone miss you? Have you benefited anyone's life? The lips of the righteous feed many. So, let's make everything fair. I think, I've got, have I got the plane equal now? I don't want it, I don't want it slanted in either direction. But I get sick and tired of phlegmatics that sit around and criticize those who talk more than they do. You know what? I would rather have to apologize for something I've said once a week, as long as I'm feeding many, than not feed any and never have to apologize. I made that decision a long time ago because I had to make it. And I hope it's wisely made. And my goal is that I... Don't laugh too loud back there, brother. I would rather apologize for having said something poorly, but in an effort to try to feed souls, than not feed souls and never have to apologize. Now the goal is better than that. The goal is never to have to apologize. And that your mouth feeds many and you don't let it ever run away and say things that you get later worry were too harsh or whatever. This passage is about speech. And in the middle of our little pamphlet called Ecclesiastes that tells us how to maximize life under the sun in this world, speech is a part of it and it's right here. And a wise man is known by his speech because it's going to be wise. And a fool is known by his speech because he's going to be a babbler. What's the simplest way to look like a wise man according to Proverbs 17, 27, and 28? 
Zip it. Cut your words in half. One of the simplest rules of wisdom is cut your words in half. Proverbs 17, 27, and 28 tell us that if a man reduces the number of words, he's going to be perceived to be a wise man. But if you talk too much, you're going to prove to everyone that you are not a wise man. So we need to learn how to govern our speech. A a snake is in verse 11, and that's a babbler. We do not want to be babblers. We want to guard our speech. We only want to say things that are glorifying to God, profitable for the souls of others. Our, teach wisdom, convey life, are thank, full of thanksgiving, full of praise. Otherwise, shut up. No one wants to hear you. We don't want to hear your complaints. We don't want to hear your criticisms. We don't want to hear about other people. We don't want to hear about you telling us some secret that you think you know about somebody else. That's whispering. That's slandering. That's backbiting. That's tail-bearing. That's tattling. You are guilty of a crime that, that occurs in kindergarten, but after children make it to the first grade, they graduate from tattling. Why would you ever want to tattle on what somebody else has done? We don't care. You're sinning. You're going to answer for it before Jesus Christ, and you're guilty of murder. Because tattling is destroying character, while murder is just destroying a life. Destroying a character and reputation is worse than taking a life. Because then a person has to live with a messed up character and reputation because of your big mouth. Let's not be babblers. A babbler is like a snake. They bite. We don't need them. They're terrible. What are you supposed to do when you're in the presence of a babbler that's talking about someone else? An angry countenance driveth away a backbiting tongue. There's a time for Christians to be angry. There is anger that is righteous and it should occur when anyone talks about someone else or puts them down. When someone complains, we ought to stop them. What are you complaining about? There's nothing to complain about in our lives. Count your blessings. Give me ten blessings instead of your complaining. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment. A babbler is no better. This is the words of God. I love his words. He calls people snakes. He says you're like a snake. A babbler is no better than a snake. And you're going to get bit. I love the Word of God. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Lord, help me never to be a babbler. I hope we're all praying that and saying that inside. I never want to babble at my mouth. So we come to verse 12. The words of a wise man are gracious. But the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. A fool just starts talking. Swallow up himself. It's a metaphor. It's a figure of speech. His mouth is open so wide and his lips are gaping at anything he can think of to say that he basically swallows himself. He proves that he's a fool. He destroys himself. The the more he talks and you're listening to him, you're just thinking, what an idiot. Why doesn't he shut up? He's just proving that he's a fool. His lips swallow himself. His talking exposes himself to be a fool. And he destroys himself with his own words. By admitting and telling everyone that he has no wisdom and that he's a fool. It's sort of like what we ran into back in verse f- 3. When, it, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. How does he say that to everyone? By the way he talks too much about nothing. Do you know what we're going to get to in just a moment? There isn't a reason for us to have a whole lot of words unless we're coming from the Word of God. 
because you don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. So why are you trying to prognosticate about what's going to happen this year or next year or trying to give your solution to things when the Bible tells us even Solomon didn't know what was going to happen five minutes later? And if Solomon didn't know, you certainly don't know. So what's there to talk about? There are things to talk about. Let's praise God. Let's give thanks for all the things He's done for us. Let's provoke each other to love and to good works. Let's comfort and encourage each other. Let's tell something good about someone else. What have we called that recently? When you tell something good about someone else when they're not around? We want to be back kissers instead of backbiters. I got an email a number of days after that. I got an email from someone telling me something good about someone else. And I wrote back and I said, you're a great back kisser. I said, do you remember where that came from? And the person said, yes, I remember. That's what we want to be. Instead of a backbite, let's never say anything negative about somebody behind their back. Let's not be battlers. Let's not be a dangerous snake lurking in the bushes to bite someone. Let's be praising other people and, and, and saying good things about them and lifting them up and building up character. What a world it could be right. if we all did that. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. The word gracious and graciousness are used in the Bible a few times. When the word is understood in its depth and fullness, it is the most beautifying of all human character traits. I said the most beautifying. The most necessary is the fear of the Lord. But after that, the most beautifying trait a person can have is graciousness, and especially when it comes out of their mouth. Gracious speech. I've taught you this before, but can I remind you for a few minutes? I'm not going to be long, I promise you. I have a goal for today. But I want your goal to be right now. I want to be reminded about graciousness just a little bit again. So that I will guard my tongue and that the words of my mouth will be gracious so that they will be the words of a wise man. Look at Proverbs 22.11 that Solomon knew well. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. He doesn't bite people. There is no danger. Have you been around a gracious person? They've never said anything critical or hurtful about another person. I love every single one of you. I envy you. I lust and covet after your ability. I mean those in the holy ways that the Bible uses them at times. You never say anything critical. You're never harsh. You're kind. You're gentle. I love it. You make me feel so warm and accepted when I'm around you. And I'm speaking on behalf of the whole church, at least those with enough intelligence to know what I'm talking about. Because it's a wonderful thing. You put your arms out and you embrace me. You make me feel accepted and warm and loved and secure because you're gracious. I love graciousness. The Lord loves graciousness. And as we read in Psalm 111, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. It's a warmth that exudes from a gracious person. Because you're not going to offend them. They're not going to bite you. They're not going to bite anyone. They don't even know how to bite. They think that they bite, but they don't know how to bite. They're wonderful. Graciousness. Gracious words. Look at Proverbs 22.11. And it tells us where gracious words start. This is one of the high verses of the book of Proverbs. 
This is the character that we want. This is the reputation that we want. This is a verse that we want to practice in our lives. He that loveth pureness of heart. For the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Lord, do any of you, Lord, I want that. Lord, I want that. Where does your speech come from? It comes out of your heart. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Matthew chapter 12 tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Your mouth lets out the gas that's created in your heart. And that is either a sweet-smelling aroma of gracious words that come out of your heart, or it's biting, caustic, critical, negative, complaining, whining, moody, terrible words that people can't stand. That's why you don't have any friends. Friends are very easy. Try graciousness sometime and you'll have more friends than you can handle. Your heart is where words start. So, your thoughts. Do you know what verse 20 is going to tell us? It tells us not to curse the king, no, not even in your thought. Because it's going to eventually get out. So always be thinking good things about people. Think everything. You say, well, some people, it's hard to think anything. Think harder. Just think something good about them. And if you're thinking good things all the time, then bad things aren't going to come out of your mouth. I want you to see where gracious words come from. This is one of the high verses of the book of Proverbs. Do you know who this is describing? This is describing David. And Solomon knew the story well about David and Jonathan. But I want to tell you who it's describing. It's describing the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what his enemy said of him? John seven forty six. No man. The Jews, the Jewish leadership charged some soldiers, some servants. They were, they were military men to go get Jesus. They came back without Jesus. They said, where is he? They said, no man ever spake. Like this man. They couldn't touch him. No man ever spake like Jesus Christ. Hey, brother. Hey, my Michigan traveler. Do you remember what you ran into early last week? On Monday when you were getting into Luke chapter 4? Oh, I'm getting there. I'm just, I just was thinking about you. You know what happens in Luke chapter 4? We have, a, we have a picture of Jesus Christ in action with his gracious words. But look at this text. This was first practiced by David. Not that there hadn't been other gracious men in the world, but Solomon knew a story about David when he had Goliath's head in his hand and he came back and he stood before King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 18, first five verses. And he's holding that big ugly head of Goliath and he's standing before King Saul and Saul wants to know who this young stripling is. And David simply said, I am the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, thy servant. Didn't even give his name. You know, wouldn't most people be jumping up and, you know, Muhammad Ali, I can tell you what he'd be saying. He'd be doing this with the head, swinging the head around, splattering blood everywhere, saying, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. Do you all know who I'm talking about? Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. You know, the seditious, treasonous man that should have been shot 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Anyway, the Lord's taking care of him. Have you heard him talk recently? Can't do it. His brain's all mush and he can't talk. It's okay. He deserves it. He's the greatest, remember? You say you're so hard on a person that has an affliction? You bet I am. He opened his big mouth against the God of heaven, and he, and he became a Muslim in this country when it was not the popular thing to do, and he went against our military and wouldn't serve, and blah, 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 blah. He's so bragged about himself his entire life, and now he can't even talk. It's appropriate justice. Right. 
It's a, it's a, it's a reward that is convenient for him, as the Bible would say. That's what he would do. He would say, I was the greatest. Do you know what David said? I am the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, thy servant. <laughs> and there, Jonathan's standing there, the prince, the next king of Israel, standing there watching David give this explanation of who he was and fell in love with him. Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And the only reason we have for that is that gracious exchange between David and Saul. In five verses, Jonathan fell in love with David. Notice what it says. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. All of a sudden, David gets promoted. Saul want, David, Jonathan wants to be around him all the time because of the gracious words that came out of his mouth. And those gracious words came from a pure heart. Jonathan Nappy, do you still know that verse? Sure. You can, okay, that's, that's a good answer because I'm just about to call on you and ask you to quote it again, but I'll trust you. <laughs> Proverbs 22.11. Caleb, you ought to learn it. It's a great verse. Proverbs 22.11. Listen to these words, Caleb. He that loveth pureness of heart. He doesn't just have a pure heart. Listen to it. He loveth pureness of heart. For the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Do you want the kings in your life to be your friend? The kings you're going to meet in your time? Do you want them to be your friend? He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips. Then let's make sure we always say gracious things. Those are kind things, gentle things, loving things, friendly things, warm things, forgiving things. I have to talk a lot. The Bible tells if I had my way, I would only be talking to myself. Because I'm a loner by nature. I have to talk a lot. But do you know what the Bible warns me? It says in a multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. And I live with an, I live with an anchor all my life because I want, I, want that ver- I want that verse. I don't know if you want it or not, but I want that verse. And I want you to want it, but that's what I'm trying to get across. I want you to want it too. And I believe you do. But what a verse. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for every time I'm not gracious. And I know what I'm not gracious most of the time. Look at Proverbs 11:16. I don't want to leave you women out since Ecclesiastes 10:12 said that a wise man's words are gracious. Let's get a wise woman's words. Some of you are so gracious, I wonder if you have a sin nature. And I'm not speaking as a fool. I want you to think. Some of you are so gracious, aren't you ever, aren't you ever going to get upset and say something harsh? Please, just once to let me know that you've got a sin nature. Please, just once to make me feel a little bit better. But no, you just have to keep on being gracious. Amen. Amen. And, and it's wonderful. Yep. It's wonderful. You're a, you're a constant thorn in my side. I don't, need, I don't need a thorn from the Lord like Paul did. All I need is a few of you in the church, and they're here. I'm, I hope you understood all that. Sure I did. Proverbs 11:16. A gracious woman retaineth honor. A woman that is gracious. This is the value of graciousness. A gracious woman retaineth honor. Five words. They are as, they are as exciting as Proverbs 22:11. Remember 22.11? The king will be your friend. That's the reward. That's the enticement. 
That's the encouragement that the Lord gives a man to learn gracious speech. But then in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 16, here's the enticement for a woman. You're always going to be loved. You're always going to be esteemed. You're going to be highly honored. Always. You're going to have so many friends. Everyone is going to speak about you delightfully because you are so charming because of your speech. A gracious woman retaineth honor. She's always respected. While alive and when she dies, she'll be respected and the kindest things will be said about her living and dying. A gracious woman. I don't have the time. You, I hope you go read. Go read 1 Samuel 18 about Jonathan and David. Read 1 Samuel chapter 20. Read about some of the other events in their lives. Jonathan immediately made a covenant with David that they were going to be not blood brothers. Soul brothers. I will take care of your family tree. You'll take care of my family tree. Back to back, I'd put them up against anybody that's ever walked this planet, Jonathan and David. Give them, give them each a sword, put them back to back that had taken anybody on, and they wouldn't have ever feared anyone. Jonathan and his armor bearer took on the Philistines by himself. David took on Goliath by himself. They were two men, and they loved each other, and their love excelled the love of women because those two men had a bond between their souls that a man and a woman seldom has and can't really have. The graciousness from two men's hearts that love the truth and loved the Lord, and were committed to defending it at any cost, but with each other as tender as two crybabies. I love their story. Solomon knew it well because he heard about it growing up. I want you to turn to Psalm 45, though. I want you to see the son of David. I'm so thankful that the Bible is so plain. How can you be kingly? How can you be kingly that a king would want to be your friend? Gracious speech. You know what the Bible says? That when a man speaks a right word, what does, another person, what does the other man want to do to him? Kiss his lips. You say, oh, that's scared. Go ahead. Let it scare you. David and Jonathan kissing on the lips. Say that bothers you? Like I said, you want to call them a queer? You want to call Jonathan and David queer? you got a problem. They'd cut your tongue out and feed it to their dog. There's nothing queer about that. When David said in the battlefield, when Jonathan lay there in his pool of blood and said the love of Jonathan excelled the love of women, he meant that they had a bond between two men that a woman couldn't match. The world can try to turn David into a sodomite like Michelangelo was who made the statue of David in Rome, but David was no sodomite. He didn't, he didn't have a problem with Beth. Never mind. It, for, for you to even think a thought like that is so wicked and foolish. But the Bible says, and it's using it metaphorically, that when you say the right thing, a, a man wants to kiss your lips who's a wise man because a, a, a word spoken in good season, in due season, is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. It's like a, beautiful, a beautifully crafted gold apple in a frame of silver or in a silver bowl, a perfect piece of art, a word fitly spoken. In due season, with the right tone, the right way, out of a pure heart, with kindness that makes the other person feel good and, feel, and feeds their soul to where they want to live more for the Lord and be a, per, a better person. Gracious speech. Let me give you the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our great example. Verse 1. My heart is indicting a good matter. Now, we have one of the sweetest men writing these words. He was called the sweet psalmist of Israel for a reason. 
This is David who is gracious in his own right. But listen to what he says. My heart is indicting. That means dictating. My heart is dictating a good matter. The Spirit of God is inside of me, and He's dictating words that I need to write down. I speak of the things which I have made touching the King. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. He was. This is inspiration. This is how inspiration occurred. When 40 authors wrote 66 books for you and us to have the mind of God by reading it. The Holy Spirit was inside him dictating words and it was filling him up with the matter. And it was matter about the King. The King is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. Thou art fairer than the children of men. You're fairer than Jonathan. You're fairer than me, David. Thou art fairer than the children of men. You're fairer than my son Solomon. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. You want to be a friend of the king? Or do you want to be a friend of God? Let's step it up a notch. How about a friend of God? Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Because grace was poured into the lips of Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter 4 to see... It put into practice. If I don't, if we don't get much further, I don't care as long as we go home and are more gracious than we were yesterday. Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes back to his hometown. This is where he made the statement, he made it of necessity, that a prophet is not without honor save in his own country. Do you know what that statement means? You're usually despised by your friends and family. Because they don't respect you like other people do. Nazareth did not respect Jesus of Nazareth. Because he had grown up among them. And he had done miracles at Capernaum. And now he has come to his hometown of Nazareth. And he goes in the synagogue. The church. On the Sabbath, he went to church on Sunday. And they gave an opportunity for men to get up and read. Here's what happened. Verse 16 of Luke chapter 4, and he came to Nazareth. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. He volunteered to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And then they erred greatly. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? 
And they tried to equate him to one of their peers. And so he turned on them and taught them the doctrine of election as it applied to the healing of Naaman the Syrian rather than any leper in Israel and to the sustenance of the widow of Zidon rather than the widows of Israel in the days of Elisha. And they led him to the brow of a hill to kill him. Gracious words may not win your enemies, but they'll make you a friend of the king. And I'll tell you where Jesus Christ is sitting at this hour. Because grace was poured into his lips, therefore God hath blessed him forever. He sits at the right hand of God Almighty. Because grace was poured into his lips and he loved gracious speech. And he did it here even though he knew those people despised him. Look at Colossians chapter 4 with me. Graciousness. The most beautifying character trait. Because the Lord is gracious. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt. That ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. When we hear a fool speak, we're to answer a fool, according to Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5, we're to answer a fool to shut his mouth. But if you go beyond that talking to a fool, then you err. Because then you become like him. If you engage in debate with a fool, you only go to a certain point to shut him up, to expose his fallacy, his foolishness. You know how Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly. Then the next verse it says, answer not a fool according to his folly. You answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. You answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like unto him. By continuing to argue with dumb. You can't argue with dumb and you can't argue with a scorner, so just leave them alone. Let them both fall into it. Let them fall into a ditch and anyone following them. But here's the rule for us. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ could speak the way he did in the synagogue at Nazareth on the Sabbath day that we just read about, and it was very gracious. He could also speak the way he did in Matthew chapter 23 when he addressed the Pharisees and said, Woe unto you, and called them about ten different names in one chapter. That was salt. But we don't use salt unless we absolutely have to use salt. Unless the recipe calls for it, we put a pinch of salt in. It's seasoned with salt. Is there any recipe that's made from salt? Is there anything good to eat that's made from salt? Rock candy. Isn't that... Thought so. We don't make it from salt. It just seasons it. And what, what does it usually call for in a recipe? What's the expression sometimes? A, a pinch of salt. That's not very much, is it? When you consider the recipe and the ingredients that go into it. So it's a small part of our lives. We should only use it when it's necessary. And we should make very sure of those cases where it's necessary. And every other time, let your speech be always, always. The bowl, the mixing bowl is full of this other thing. The mixing bowl is full of this other thing that we only put a pinch of salt in. And what's this other thing? That it's always to, to govern our speech. Grace. 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 Let your speech be all way with grace. That's a wise man. That's a friend of the king. That's someone you want to kiss them on their mouth. That's someone that makes you feel so good. It looks like a piece of art, a beautiful gold apple in a bowl of silver. It's perfect. It's wonderful. It's delightful. How good it is. Exclamation point is how the book of Proverbs describes it. A word spoken in due season. You can attract more flies with 
honey than you can vinegar. Let's get rid of the vinegar. Vinegar is terrible stuff. Give me some clover, honey. The lips of a fool will destroy himself and expose him as a fool, but gracious words do the opposite. They expose a person as a wise man and someone you want to be around. Jonathan loved David as his own soul that fast. It's in the Bible for a reason. That graciousness came out of David's pure heart. Do you know what David did when he was sitting out there with all those sheep? Was he envious of his seven brothers who got to join the military and wear their first set of clothes with pretty medals on it? No. Was he upset that when, Je- when Samuel came to Bethlehem to anoint the next king that he was overlooked and forgotten? No. What did he do out there? He sat and looked at those sheep, and he looked at the waters, and he looked at the grass. He looked at the sky. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. That pure heart formed psalms. And when he spoke out of that pure heart, the words were so gracious, Jonathan fell in love with them. The king shall be his friend. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. I do not want to teach you the book of Ecclesiastes simply for us to know the sense of each of the words. Verses. I want us to learn the book of Ecclesiastes so that we can walk out of here and do what it says to maximize our lives under the sun. And do you know what that means? How gracious can we be in our speech the rest of this day and whatever other days the Lord gives us? Do you know who the best people to practice with is? It's the ones at home that we take the most liberty with. My family wishes I was as gracious with them as I am with you. And I know you wish I was as gracious with you as the Lord was gracious in Nazareth. But you know, we let our hair down when we go home and we think that, well, they already know that I love them, so why do I have to tell them? Don't they know that? Haven't they figured that out yet as we bite and claw and scratch and howl and practice at home? You like that point too, huh? I want, to, I want to learn that. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ is seated at God's right hand because grace was poured into his lips. What did the men say on the, way, on the way to Emmaus when Jesus opened to them the scriptures? What, what was the effect it had on them? Were their hearts burning? Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ. David, look at those psalms. Don't you? We love the psalms, don't we? Brother Red got excited about First Chronicles 29. Those are the words... Of a, gracious, of a wise man. They were gracious words coming from a pure heart. What is graciousness? It's one of the most beautifying, beautiful, descriptive adjectives in English. It's based on grace. Our God is gracious to us. Uh, he is gracious. His graciousness has provided a way against His holiness and against His justice and against His righteousness. Not truly against them. But he has provided a substitute for us because he is so full of grace. What is graciousness? Let me give you a few synonyms. Will you allow this? It's a word that we don't hear much about outside of our church. Gracious. 
I have a couple. Agreeable. A gracious person. Agreeable. Approachable. Appropriate. They do the right thing at the right time. They say the right thing at the right time. They're attentive. Benevolent. Charming. Cheerful. Considerate. Cooperative. Cordial. Courteous. Decorous. Forgiving. Friendly. Generous. Gentle. Humble. Kind. Merciful. Pleasant. Pleasing. Proper. Selfless. Tactful. Warm. There's a couple for you. Gracious. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. Look at the contrast. Lord, save us from ever being a babbler. Ever being a babbler. And let us be the wise man with gracious words that can feed many. Let us be a tree of life with our words that encourage and help and and love and comfort others and lift them up. If this church were to practice what we're talking about right now, we could build each other up in their presence or in their absence. We would be back kissers all the time. We would never be back biters. We would lift each other up and build the unity and love and affection in this church. We would lift the character and reputations of each member up as high as we could. It's a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. We could all be friends of the King. And the King that matters the most is the King Lord Jesus Christ. To have gracious words that would be accepted by Him. I know this second service has been very simple. I did not plan it that, this way. I meant to get all the way through chapter 10, but I don't want to race through things like this. Amen. If it was so important that the Lord Jesus Christ was identified for it, and it is something that we can have, it's something I want you to have, and it's something I want to have. He that loveth pureness of heart, it's where it starts, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Even God, because the Lord is gracious. He is full of compassion. We should be with our speech. Let's do it with our families this day. Let's do it with one another. Let's guard our speech, starting in our hearts. Let's guard our thoughts that our speech will be gracious. May the Lord, the gracious Lord, bless us to be gracious like Him.